This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You know, we all sort of have faith that the dollar is here to stay and it works and we use it to pay for things. But actually, at a lot of fundamental levels, money as it stands now does not solve the problems of money right. in a global economy. Like to transfer money, let's say you were in China and I needed to send money to you. I got to go to my bank, then it's the local reserve bank, then the Federal Reserve Bank, then the SWIFT wiring system, then whatever banking system is in your country, which may or may not be corrupt. There's fees every step of the way. There's potential for human error every step of the way. And and it was just, a, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's not easy to send a dollar to someone in India or to send a dollar to someone in China. For me, the simple explanation is I can send you money with nobody between us instantly, uh, just like sending a text or an email. It's digital immediately. And some people, you know, have a problem with the idea of digital money. But the reality is all your money is already digital. The only money you actually have is what's in your wallet. The minute you go to the bank and deposit it, it becomes ones and zeros. There's not some big vault there full of $100 bills that you gave them. They only have to keep 10% of the money. And even then, they don't really keep it. So the reality is your money is already digital, but Bitcoin just goes that next step. So I, me to you, peer to peer with nobody between us. I think that to me is the basic idea of it, which sounds really good. Now, obviously there's much more complex layers to it, the mining and all that kind of stuff. But me approaching it, that's all that I cared about. It was like the science fiction books you read where everyone's paying for everything with credit. Yeah, like, like Star Trek That's or what Star it's Wars. supposed to be. And, and I think... 25 years from now, we're not going to be walking around with wallets. You know, we're not going to be walking around with paper. We'll all have phones or whatever's next. So money's going away. So the question is, what will it be? Will it be through banks and governments or will it be just me to you? All right. I've got one of my favorite authors back on the podcast. He's been on two or three times before. I forget how many times. Uh, ben Mesrick, welcome. Thank you so much. Just as a brief intro, uh, you know, you you wrote, uh, I, I always forget the title, of the, uh, br- the most br- famous one. Bringing Down the House. Yeah, Bringing Down the House, which the movie 21, 21 was based on. It was about a bunch of MIT grads who go out to Las Vegas. I read that, like, what was it like? like I feel like it was decades ago. When did that 2002 book it came out. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That, that, that was such a great book as well, though. But uh, And that that really kind of catapulted you into kind of this non literary nonfiction yeah, um, you know, best-selling it, status. It changed my life. I became this narrative nonfiction writer after that, and I've written 20 books now. Um, that one and The Social Network, uh, my book Accidental Billionaires became The Social Network. So those are my two biggest books. Right, so so again, The Accidental Billionaires is about um, kind of Mark Zuckerberg, the start of Facebook, and then the legal battle between Zuckerberg, the Winklevoss twins, Eduardo Saverin, uh, I also really loved your book on poker. Oh yes, uh, straight flush. Yeah, that was a great book. And I, I was like stressed. <laughs> I, I was reading it. and I was became anxious while reading <laughs> That's it. That's great. And um, then we discussed your book on the, the UFOs, the forty thirty seventh parallel. Thirty seventh parallel. Uh, you came on the podcast for that. And then what, I'm trying to think what other ones. I think I might have come on for Wooly. Did I come on for the Wooly Mammoth show? Maybe yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about you did. A, a doctor and the scientist in Massachusetts is trying to make a Wooly Mammoth. Oh, you know, I I don't know. Um, 
Nobody really read that book, so yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> what, what were, I don't even know you until I saw. I didn't even know you had written twenty books. Like I yeah. always think of like the bestsellers, but yeah. what were some of the other books? Uh, I wrote a book called Ugly Americans, which was kind of a cult uh, hit in like the finance community. It was about expats living in Asia. Oh, I think kind I of did a, read that. A really crazy book, and I wrote a book called. Um, uh, Once upon a time in Russia about the Russian oligarchs. That I read. You came yeah, on. Yeah, I came one. on for that. Yeah, that was a, a crazy and um, project, which you know, with with Trump and everything, it's become more relevant. But that was um, so. That was a real. Not only was it a riveting story about one of these oligarchs and kind of the rise and fall, right. crushing fall of one of these ol oligarchs in Russia, who were like, you know, they made billions out of nothing uh -huh. and then lost. Billions end up hanging whim. in their bathroom basically yeah. yeah like that was so fascinating but it was basically like russian history over the past yeah. 20 years because that the oligarchs are so much a part of that history right i mean and maybe american history i mean it was basically that period in time when these people came out of nowhere and became multi multi-billionaires um and then putin came to be you know they created putin the oligarchs. yeah so it was a wild book to write and um you know, intense and and yeah, that was a few books ago. Yeah, and so now this most recent book, I have a particular interest in from both both words in the title. So the book's called Bitcoin Billionaires, right. and it's about us. Uh, and we'll say specifically who in a second, but it's about some of the early uh, or initial billionaires in the Bitcoin space, and it kind of covers as well. It's it's sort of through storytelling, also covers the history of. Bitcoin, the early, the first yeah. five, six years of, of Bitcoin's history. Yeah. I and, mean, it's the origin stories of Bitcoin, but through the eyes, well, the main characters of the story are the Winklevoss twins. And it's the story of how they went from the battle over Facebook to now being worth billions in Bitcoin. And their journey coincides with the origins of Bitcoin. So it's this crazy second act. You know, if I had had to guess who from the social network I'd be writing about again, I would never have guessed the Winklevoss twins. Well, it, it's... It's so funny because a you start off where you know accidental billionaires ends pretty much, and uh, you know it, it almost feels like, and I'm sure maybe you even think of it this way. It almost feels like a, a, a sequel right. to Accidental Billionaires, but of course every bit as good and interesting as Accidental Billionaires because now we're in a whole uh, new domain, which is Bitcoin. Right. I mean, it's a crazy thing that they have a second act like this. We start in the settlement. So what I didn't know when I wrote Accidental Billionaires is how the settlement went down. You know, Zuckerberg ended up paying the twins $65 million, but they didn't take it in cash, they took it in stock. So when Facebook IPO, they ended up with close to $500 million. And they took that money and tried to become Silicon Valley investors, but nobody would touch them, nobody would take their money, because everyone's end game is to sell to Facebook. So if you have the Winklevi twins investing in your company, you can't sell to Zuckerberg who hates them. So instead, they went to party in Ibiza, and that's where they ran into Bitcoin. Well, well, a, cu a couple of things from that very right. initial uh, set of chapters. One is I didn't know that they met. You know, one of the twins, uh, I guess it was Cameron. Yeah, met one on one with Mark yeah. This Zuckerberg. was the, I call it the tiger cage situation. So like, why did that have to happen? Yeah, so they were negotiating, negotiating. Nothing was happening, and so one day Cameron said, "You know what? Why don't we just sit down, just us and Zuckerberg? We're three kids who went to college together." We don't need all these lawyers. Let's just meet together. So they gave this proposal to Zuckerberg's lawyers. And Zuckerberg's lawyers came back and said, well, he says yes, but he has some concerns. And they go, what do you mean? Well, he has some security concerns. And he only wants to meet with one of you. And apparently, he was afraid they were going to beat him up, which they, you know, obviously one of them could beat him up. But anyway, right. so they ended up having this meeting in a glass conference room with just Cameron and Zuckerberg. And all the lawyers sat around the glass keeping an eye on the situation. And so it's this crazy kind of dialogue between him and Mark where he's trying to get Mark to solve the issue. But it did lead 
to the settlement. So it kind of worked. You know, it's it's uh, funny. I ran into shortly about three or four weeks after Facebook's IPO, uh, I ran into Divya yeah. Narenda. And, uh, you know, at that point, Facebook stock was going down. People mm-hmm. had, didn't trust the IPO and hadn't yet made its meteoric rise. And uh, Divya asks me, do you think I should, what do you think is going to happen? you think I should hold on to this stock? Oh, yeah. And I said, like, definitely hold on to this stock. Like, it's... You just told he, him the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah lucky, like lacking on wood. And uh, hopefully he did. I don't know what he did. but I think he's done very well. So, uh, you know, I think he probably did hold on. And and obviously the Winklevoss twins held on enough to, to you know, well, you describe they, you know, what what happened. We'll, we'll get to that. But how did you sort of decide to write this book? Yeah. Like what kind so of I led you to them? I never wanted to write about Bitcoin. You know, over the past three years, people have been pitching me Bitcoin stories because I write similar things. And Bitcoin to me was so convoluted and complex. I know I'm not a math guy. Um, it's just the word blockchain. I hate that word. It just terrifies me. I hate it too. And and so I didn't want to write about Bitcoin. And then I was reading the New York Times, and it was a Nathaniel Popper article, and it said the Winklevoss twins are the first Bitcoin billionaires. And that kind of blew my mind that it was these guys. So I called them up, came into New York, and they were like, uh, you know, they started to tell me this crazy story. And so I realized that there was something here. Um, and that I had gotten them wrong. You know, I had written them in a way in Accidental Billionaires that was not true to who they really are. They well, were, when you wrote Accidental Billionaires, did you interview them? Yeah, I spent a lot of time with them, but when they walk into a room, it's like something out of Greek mythology. I mean, these guys are ridiculous looking and they're gigantic and you think immediately back to every 80s movie you ever saw and they're the bad guys, you know? They're the big, blonde, bad guys. Yeah. And so when I wrote it's Accidental like, It's like Karate Kid right, times they, two. Right, right the they're Cobra chasing Kai the Karate Kid around, right? Yeah. So I really and truly wrote them in that fashion and the movie even more so as caricatures, you know? Um, but that's not really who they are. You know, they speak multiple languages, they're computer coders, they're very smart guys. And so I think we did them a disservice with the social network. Well, and it's funny because in this book, particularly you, you really set the stage well in the beginning with them because we're all coming out of, you know, the last most readers have heard from them is in Accidental Billionaires where maybe you're right. They don't come across as well. Like Mark Zuckerberg, Nobody really comes across great in Accidental Billionaires. Right. It's, it's a, it's a true-to-life story, but we're kind of on Mark Zuckerberg's side a little bit in Accidental Billionaires. But I think what you did so powerfully in setting the stage in Bitcoin Billionaires is that here are these people that are, like, larger than life, like you say. They're right. like Greek gods somehow. And uh, But you really made us feel for them. They're like outsiders. You know, when, when they go to Silicon Valley and nobody wants to talk to them. Right. And... They're kind of hated, and people can relate to that. Like we're we're all at some point in positions where we're outsiders, we're hated. Uh, sometimes we're hated for our advantages. Right. Sometimes we're hated for our disadvantages. And you sort of describe both their advantages and their disadvantages. And then there's a little bit of an aspirational aspect. Like okay, they're hated, so then let's go party in Ibiza in right. this magnificent setting. <laughs> you know, so there's kind of this kind of a combination of, oh, gosh, I feel for these guys, I relate to it, and then, oh, yeah, this would be great if the right. party here. I mean, that's the hardest part about the Winklevoss twins in a book like this is they are privileged. I mean, you look at them and you know where they're from, and they're from a billionaire family from Greenwich, Connecticut, and they look like gods, and they're Olympic athletes. And, um, but they see themselves as underdogs, um, which is a hard sell sometimes, but I also getting to know them, you know, they struggled with things. They were screwed over by Zuckerberg, at least they believe so. Um, and they were ridiculed afterwards. And, uh, so, you know, you can, you can empathize with them, even though you see them and they go to Ibiza and they're on the blue Marlin and they're living this 
life of royalty, deep down, they're not content and they're not happy. And they wake up every morning feeling like they were screwed by Zuckerberg. And, and they, you know, it's it's a hard thing to get past. And you reveal uh, in this book some, some, you know, the disclosures that came later about yeah. some of Mark Zuckerberg's IMs where it almost... If those IMs had come out, if those oh, it text been messages had come out. devastating for Zuckerberg, and that's the reason he settled with them. These IMs, which I have in the book, you know, which um, come from Nicholas Carlson, Business Insider, and some yeah. other people, they're, they're really harsh. Zuckerberg was a pretty bad dude. And, and not only did he, you know, talk about people using Facebook as idiots and things like that, but he actually uh, outwardly set out to strategically screw the Winklevoss twins. I mean, in the IMs, he says things like, you know, I'm going to lead them on and then I'm going to F them in the ear, right? That's the, the quote he uses. Yeah. And and if that had come out, it would have been a very different situation, I think. Yeah, because particularly if this was like a jury-decided case. Yeah, he you would know, look very bad. Yeah. Um, it, so that's why he was always going to settle, I think, yeah. It's so interesting. So what what, what were, and we'll, we'll get into the Bitcoin stuff, but what, what did he have a hard, what were they having trouble negotiating that they had to really meet one-on-one? -on -one? Well, and the one-on-one -on -one conversation wasn't that uh, great. Initially, Zuckerberg <laughs> wanted to give them nothing. You know, he didn't think they were part of Facebook. If you'd created Facebook, you would have created Facebook kind of Right, quote. right. Um, and they By the way, like, Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, of course, right. in and, The Social and, Network was great. Which was brilliant. So I think that the, the twins wanted him to understand that whatever he thought about what they deserved, that they were there, that they were part of it, and that he couldn't just walk them, walk away from them. Um, so that's really what that was all about. Did you ever think about following up also with Eduardo Saverin? I'd love to. Eduardo cut off all contact with me because um, his settlement agreement with Facebook, which he got like $5 billion, said that he could never speak to me again because they were trying to stop that book from happening. I so see. they settled with him to stop me from writing the book. Um, so he ran off to Singapore, never to be heard from again. <laughs> yeah, he basically, from what I understand, he's like, took over the top floor of like the biggest hotel in Singapore yeah. and like that's what he does now. He's doing very well. Uh, I'd love to meet up with him again. You know, I I think he did very well from that book. <laughs> but um, but good for him, you know. He was yeah. there and he got his piece. Um, no, I never had any contact with him again. So, so um, I've, I, I'm going to save for later. I have some qu a couple of questions about how you wrote this book and so on. Sure. But let, let's get into it. So you hear about... Uh, the Winklevoss twins, their second act, they're, they're Bitcoin billionaires. You go to meet them. And by the way, it seems like they're the perfect group because they're probably very happy to talk about their story. Well, they, they, were, they, they were, were unaccessible. They were a little afraid of me simply because they didn't love their characterization. So they didn't know what angle I was going to take. But once I sat down with them and you know, I, I basically told them that I, I got it wrong and I want to get them right, then they were very into it, yeah. And, and second acts are... Uh, an appealing American story. Of course, we and want it's to very see, American type of story. Yeah, we want to see the comeback. We love the comeback. And and so you go you go to visit them. And so and this so this book kind of starts with like you say them in Ibiza after realizing that they're not going to be able to invest in Silicon Valley startups. And this one guy, uh, David Azar, uh -huh. uh, approaches them and says, you know, I've got something even bigger, right. you know, in networking than you've ever heard of before money. <laughs> right. And, and it's, that's where it starts. And they knew nothing about Bitcoin. The reality is almost nobody knew anything about Bitcoin. You knew about it, but nobody else really knew but, about but, it. But you know, initially, and, and I'm coming at it even much later than they did. Uh. I, I was being asked a lot about it in 20, early 2013. I had no interest in it. Um, but then Naval Ravikant, who you mentioned in the book, right. he visited and from 
top to bottom, bottom to top. He explained everything to me that he knew about Bitcoin, which was quite a bit. And then I became I I became uh, a convert. Yeah. But that was a little later a little in 2013. Late. Oh, okay. So Bitcoin was around uh, yeah. 60 bucks. I mean, Bitcoin was the secret. There was this group, hardcore group of libertarian crypto math computer guys who knew about it. And they met on these underground boards on the computer, basically, and talked about it. But guys like the Winklevoss twins had never heard of Bitcoin. And when they were presented with it, they began to research it. And they called professors from Harvard who knew nothing about it. They called people they knew in Silicon Valley who knew nothing about it. But as they looked at it, they thought, you know, this is either garbage or it's the next big thing. Why would they think... Like, if some guy randomly approached me and yeah. said, oh, I've got a business for you, I would 100% chance ignore them. Right. Like, what you would really, think, what you really know, There was something them. about the guy that was charismatic, I think, but also they were really looking for something because they had just been knocked out of Silicon Valley. They had not, nothing to do. And they had actually, an, an interesting story is when they went to Ibiza, um, they were trying to pay ahead of time for their villa using money. And it didn't work. They tried to transfer their money over by the bank and it didn't get there. So they were literally there with nowhere. They weren't being able to pay for their villa. And this guy says, there's a new form of money in which you can just send it to somebody. And that struck them. It was this coincidental moment, I think. Right. Uh, and, and, and I think that's important to mention that, you know, we all sort of have faith that, you know, the, the, the dollar is, is here to stay and it works and we use it to pay for things. But actually, at a lot of fundamental levels, uh, and I'm not even looking at this as a libertarian or economist or anything, but a lot of fundamental levels, money as it stands now does not solve the problems of money right. in a global economy. Like to transfer money to outside the country, there's all sorts of uh, rules, regulations, particularly in a world with terrorism and corruption. And... If I, let's say you were in China and I needed to send money to you, I got to go to my bank, then it's the local reserve bank, then the federal reserve bank, then the swift wiring system, then whatever banking system is in your country, which may or may not be corrupt. There's potential, there's fees every step of the way. There's potential for human error every step of the way. Right. In their case, I guess there were delays right. every there step were of delays the way. And, and, and it was just a, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's not easy to send a dollar to someone in India or to send a dollar to someone in China. Um, and that really struck them at that moment. And that was their first thing. And then as they sort of heard more about what the philosophy behind Bitcoin was and, and why it was, you know, something that could be important, I think they really, you know, got sucked in. Can you, can you address that? Like what aspects? Well, for me, like I'm a layman. I don't know anything about right. anything. I'm not a math guy. But, but a me, layman should be able right, to. The simple explanation to me is I can send you money with nobody between us instantly, uh, through, just like sending a text or an email. It's digital immediately. And some people, you know, have a problem with the idea of digital money, but the reality is all your money is already digital. The only money you actually have is what's in your wallet. The minute you go to the bank and deposit it, it becomes ones and zeros. There's not some big vault there full of $100 bills that you gave them. They only have to keep 10% of the money, and even then they don't really keep it. So the reality is your money is already digital, but Bitcoin just goes that next step. So I, me to you, peer to peer with nobody between us. I think that to me is the basic idea of it, which sounds really good. Now, obviously, there's much more complex layers to it, the mining and all that kind of stuff. Well, but well, me approaching it, that's all that I cared about was like the idea of, it was like the science fiction books you read where everyone's paying for everything with credits. Yeah, like, on like Star Trek that's or That's what Star it's Wars. supposed to be. And, and I think 25 years from now, we're not going to be walking around with wallets. You know, we're not going to be walking around with paper. We'll all have phones or whatever's next. So money's going away. So the question is, what will it be? Will it be through banks and governments? 
or will it be just me to you? Well, if you think about it, like why didn't PayPal or Venmo or right. whatever rise to become the, I mean, it is right now kind of uh, the digital currency provider of choice. And yet they're still going through the right. banking system right. and there's all sorts well, of I regulations. Well, wanted to be Bitcoin originally. I think that was their goal and they didn't quite get there. And um, one of the, I, I know that in the book, we talk about that a little bit because one of the PayPal founders was part of the Bitcoin revolution. Um, Peter Thiel came to it late, I believe. But, you know, I, I think they really, that was the goal of PayPal originally, but they became just another payment processor. Right, and then, and then you bring, bring up the fact that, um, you know, particularly in the early stages of any financial innovation, there's going to be corruption. And that's gonna, yeah. that's gonna hold back uh, the acceptance from everybody. So, so Bitcoin, there was concerns, oh, this, is this just used? To, because there's a privacy component of Bitcoin. Like if you send money to me through the banking system, the banks know about it, the right. government knows about it, everybody knows about it. But if you send money to me with Bitcoin, nobody knows about right. it, for, for the most part. And uh, so there was concerns that, okay, well, uh, Bitcoin's gonna be used to buy drugs and guns yeah. and, and a small and part it, of it. it was a big, yeah. so yeah, Bitcoin's dark past is a big part of the story because you know where Bitcoin came from, there's libertarians, people who believed, some people believed it would take down banks, take down governments, it's the next level. Then there was Silk Road, which was a big part of its birth, you know, because Silk Road, you go on, you could buy drugs and you use Bitcoin. Um, so the twins walk into this world, men of Harvard, guys in suits, and they're not shady. And they, and they look at this world, but they see so much more. You know, they think, okay, there's some of that, but the reality of Bitcoin is much beyond Silk Road. And it's not just for people doing illegal things. And I think, I think Bitcoin does have that past and it should recognize that that's part of what Bitcoin was. But that's not where Bitcoin should be. But but you can argue that's what the internet was, yeah, right? Of like so in 1998, what what was the most profitable part of Yahoo was all their porn right. sites and Probably stuff. Probably still is. But yeah, yeah, I mean, could be. Listen, porn was a big driver of the internet, and you know, um, there's 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 nothing wrong with the fact that it started with this libertarian anarchistic philosophy, and there's still going to be a stream of that, and it should be part of it because the idea is. It's freeing. It's very freeing to use a cryptocurrency, I think, um, because it frees you from governments and banks. You, you, but you, you, it doesn't have to be to, to take down governments and banks. Right, and you know, you know what you just made me think of is that it's almost the opposite philosophy of when the internet started. So the internet started, like, let's call it 1972, give or take, when um, uh, the Defense Department funded these three universities to set up, essentially, you know, the internet protocol and the first emails were sent and it was very open. There wasn't really security at all. In fact, that was a flaw uh -huh. for many decades of the internet is that it was so easy to hack anything because there was no security whatsoever. And, 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 and the philosophy was, Hey, it's, it's kind of out of the sixties. Hey, Hey, we all love each other. It's all open right. information. And Bitcoin has some of that in the sense that all the software behind all these coins is publicly available and anyone can see it, but privacy and security is very much baked into Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, absolutely right. And and I remember the first time that I used my credit card on the internet. I mean, it You're was scared. this crazy moment. I was like, yeah. I'm going to lose all my money. Someone's going to just steal my credit card. Um, and now you do it without even thinking about it. Now, in fact, you store your credit card numbers on various sites, you know? And I would say it probably took 10 years after the web before people were 100% right. calm about credit cards on the internet. Yeah, I mean, the idea that Amazon could work was impossible, you know, until suddenly it did. And, so, yeah. But, but again, like, you bring up, like, they had this vision 
pretty much before anyone else. Yeah. Uh, in terms of a big player, a big major player, that uh, Bitcoin was going to be not just this theory, but it was going to be something huge. And you right. can argue it kind of then underlines that, hey, didn't we see this once before? Yeah. They kind of had this theory that something like Facebook right. was going to be huge. It makes you rethink their role in the origins of Facebook. I yeah. definitely no longer believe that they were at the origins of Facebook and the origins of Bitcoin by accident. Um, and you look back at that and you think, well, you know what? Maybe they did have some innovations that Zuckerberg took from them. Um, so it's really interesting. It's interesting to think that. So now that you've known them better, like, what do you think it is about them that made them so uh, accepting of this amazing innovation, Bitcoin, which had such a dark past at that yeah. time. Well, I think the one thing was they liked the idea of something that had math behind it and not people because they didn't trust people, but they trusted the idea of something that's based in math. Uh, I think they liked the fact that they were ahead of Silicon Valley and something. Um, and it just made sense to them in a lot of ways. I mean, they had been burned by Facebook, um, but they were looking for something to build, you know, something big that was part of the future. And so they saw the same things in Bitcoin they saw in Facebook. But they, they, you know, their their initial information was from a, a group of people who are really different from them. Yeah, like, like you know, Charlie, Charlie Schramm, Schramm, right? And and then even like Roger Ver, who was backing Charlie Schramm right. at that time, and Charlie Schramm's uh, company BitInstant. So none of these people were like, and none of them got along really. I mean, well, yeah. Charlie and the twins kind of did, but Roger and the twins did not. I mean, they come from different worlds. I mean, yeah, Roger you know, this libertarian, anarchistic philosophy. Who had been in jail. Had been in jail for a year for selling um, explosives, explosives over the internet. Charlie ended up going to jail um, for allowing people to, to buy Bitcoin to use on Silk Road to buy drugs. And then you have the twins who are, you know, uh, are, are paragons of the establishment, but not really. They're still revolutionaries, but they believe you have to work with the system. You're not trying to burn the system down. And, and, and to their credit, so they, they invested in... This guy's company, Charlie right. Shrem's company. Well, they bought 200,000 Bitcoin or so um, at around $7 for different numbers, but between 100 and 200,000. They bought 1% of all Bitcoin um, at $7. So they've made a fortune in that. And right. they invested. So, so, so it like, what, it's like, let's say it's around 8,000 now. There were that's, you know, 1.6 1. 1. billion. 1.6 1. billion, yeah. Um, and then they invested in Charlie's company, BitInstant, which was one of the first places you could buy Bitcoin without having to go to Japan, Mt. Gox, and things like that. So, Charlie's company was funded by them and Roger Ver. Um, and their company, you know, one third or two thirds of, one third of all people bought their Bitcoin through Charlie at one point in time. So he was a really big deal in Bitcoin. He became a big star in the Bitcoin world until Silk Road got taken down. And when Silk Road got taken down, then the FBI followed the pathways to Charlie. He ended up going to jail for two years. And and I, I have I have some questions about that, like yeah. just in terms of the what happened to him and, and, and the legal system. But... You know, again, like I'm amazed that they delve, they dive so fast into. Yeah. Oh, we just heard about it. Let's buy two hundred. And it was very fast. Coins. It was a matter of months. They were up full, all in, millions and millions of dollars. But I guess. But that's like, how they do things. These guys. I mean, if they decide, you know, they go and uh, and uh, it's this intensity. They're very intense people. Were, were they? Were were other ideas vying for their attention? Or they was had that... been pitched other things, but this was the first thing they had seen that they thought was really like a lightning strike. Hmm. You know, so and Bit Instant, like you said, is this way for for people to buy, uh, or was this way for people to buy Bitcoin very easily with cash? It's it's actually always been sort of a hard thing. Like, how do you buy right. Bitcoin? Well, at that time, at it that was time. insane. You went to Mount Gox, 
which was named for Magic the Gathering uh, game. It was a trading site that became a Bitcoin exchange, but it was in Japan run by this crazy cat guy, right? He got famous for putting cats on the internet or something. And, yeah. and so it was this very shady, and that was the only way you could buy Bitcoin. Um, and it would take time, and you'd have to go through Japanese money orders. So Charlie's idea was let's create a system where, you know, you can buy it here, I'll buy the Bitcoin for you, you give me cash, and I'll sell you Bitcoin. The problem was, Charlie was also the compliance officer at his own company. And so he was trying to run the whole thing, um, and he got pulled by the Roger Vers in the world into believing there was nothing wrong with Silk Road, it's okay to buy drugs with Bitcoin, that's what Bitcoin's all about. So when somebody went on his site and was actively buying up lots of Bitcoin, and then through emails, Charlie did know what he was doing with it. How, how could he tell? Because that, well, that wasn't clear Well, at one point, Charlie's other partner says to him, I think this guy is buying drugs on Silk Road, and Charlie said, good. And these emails all came to light. Ah. These emails made him look very bad. Well, well, you know, because just- And he kicked the guy off the site and then let him back on privately and just said, keep your numbers below a certain amount. And so it was a little shady. Yeah, and 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 there's all sorts of law. There was all sorts of laws after essentially after 9/11, where yeah. you had to kind of uh, these so-called know your customer laws. Right. And at the time, um, in with Bitcoin in the early 2010s, uh, it wasn't clear whether banking laws applied to Bitcoin or not. Right. It wasn't clear what laws at all applied to Bitcoin. Do you have to pay taxes? All these things. It was not clear about anything. Yeah. And and to some extent. It's still not 100% clear. Like maybe it's right. 70% clear now. Right. But it's like, which is why, um, and we're, we're skipping around, but which, so the Winklevoss comp, twins, their new company, Gemini, which is a Bitcoin exchange, and they're trying to create a Bitcoin ETF that could trade on the stock market. Yeah, they're trying to legitimize it, get the laws clear, work with the government, you know, and so Gemini's, you know, the safe place to buy Bitcoin. That's the idea. Yeah, and and to their credit and and this is how i felt as well a year ago you like bitcoin crashed when regulators started coming in but you want regulation to come in i mean because sooner or later there's going to be regulation and you want once there's regulation that means okay given these terms the us government approves of this practice right. there's no other way it's going to take off to where you want it to go without at least letting the government be a part of the story right like like the internet uh, the same thing. The internet in 1995, Bill Clinton basically started making rules about here's how you tax things that right. are sold on the internet. And then the internet sort of took off after that. Right. And the same thing's going to happen here. I mean, we need some level of security. You need to feel like you're not just going to get robbed every time you, you do a product. So I, I think it's it's part of the story. But there are people in the Bitcoin community who disagree and are very unhappy with the twins and don't like them you know, being part of it because they are working with the establishment. There are people like Roger Ver who want to bring it all down. Um Right, and then the problem is, I mean, you need, this is what, I actually hate the term cryptocurrency. Mm. It's like, uh, these are currencies, and they happen to have uh, crypto in the math and software backing them. Like, people say, oh, you know, gold is backed by the fact that it's a precious metal, so there's right. uses. The, the U.S. dollar is backed by the faith in the U.S. government. What's Bitcoin backed by? And to your point, it's backed by all this math that's, took you know hundreds or thousands of man years to discover it's backed by all this computing power used to solve these these problems and there is real significant backing and theory yeah, behind it of course and and you know 
Right. I mean, it's all a matter of perception, obviously. I mean, is gold really valuable? I mean, I, I think no. Yeah. I actually think now, particularly with Bitcoin, gold is just a rock. And right. But, exactly. But, and, but, but it's, it's useful as long as people think it is. Right. Whereas Bitcoin actually has, like, even without a currency use, you and I can make a contract with a Bitcoin transaction right. that it will hold up. You don't need a, uh, you don't need lawyers. You don't need a judge. You don't need a court. Like mathematically, the contract will hold up right. using Bitcoin. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I think so. You know, it, it's definitely it, it's a hard sell to a certain generation. I think people over the age, over a certain age, have a hard time with it. But people under a certain age seem to get it right away. Um, so I do think there's a generational issue with that. And then there's, and then on the political side. You're right. Like libertarians were the first attracted to it because it, there's this massive privacy right. aspect, uh, which is unusual for any money transaction. And there's kind of no borders. You can, right. you know, it's these transactions. Yeah. There's no need for government anymore. <laughs> you know, that's that's the idea. But but I think again, as people realize the usefulness of it, uh, it, it becomes attractive to the layman. The word crypto will be removed. It'll just be like a digital currency, and then right. it'll just be currencies. So the word crypto will disappear, just like just like e. You know, everything right, e, became right. ETH something. You know, we don't say Amazon.com. We just say Amazon is a store. Right. We don't say Amazon.com is a program on top of the internet protocol. We just say it's a store. Right. I think the same thing will happen eventually to Bitcoin. But, okay, so they buy 200,000 Bitcoin. They invest in BitInstant. But but it's still like they, they, they want validation for both themselves and they want to be they want they early on they say the layman has to understand what bitcoin is and they they want they want to be accepted so they can explain the story of bitcoin to the layman it feels like right and they start traveling around the world selling bitcoin talking about bitcoin getting people involved in bitcoin and and, uh, and talking to like hedge fund managers and money managers that was like an unusual part of the story i didn't yeah. realize yeah they were talking to everybody in finance they were going from person to person big people in finance um trying to you know and not everybody accepted it people were like uh uh, and some people did dive in. Uh, Matthew but, Mellon dived in, um, but you know uh, Burke did not. I mean, it was some people liked it and some people didn't. But they were talking to like Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were talking to anybody who would listen, um, and they spent a couple of year doing that. And, and it must have been weird conversations because it sound because they probably didn't really have any agenda. They weren't no. saying buy our Bitcoin right. or buy our company or right. whatever. It was they really were just, just trying to educate. To educate the world on Bitcoin. And they were interesting because they were guys who were recognizable. So people would take meetings with them um, based on the social network, based on Facebook. Um, but they were pitching something brand new that some people got and some people didn't. And what were what was like the, like like, like a guy like Ron Burkle is a, yeah. a billionaire, multi-billionaire. Um, and and we, we you, you describe some or most of the conversation in, in the book. I like how, I like the setting. It's on, on his this jet, private, yeah. this enormous private jet. Like it's so enormous. You never even heard of a jet like this. Right. And and they're having a meeting as if it's in some normal conference room, right. but it's like a conference room on this jet that has apparently no turbulence, right, I guess. Right, right. And, uh, uh, and you see some of Ron, it was almost like that billionaire arrogance kind of pushback. Like, well, oh. he just didn't need it. You know, he's like, what's the point of this? Why do I, why do I need this? And I think, I don't know if he's changed his mind since then. I don't, you might not, I don't know. No, I but don't know. he just wasn't intrigued by it because, you know, he's a retail, he, he's a, a brick and mortar billionaire. He's not, you know, he didn't get it right away, but he thought it was intriguing. And uh, I think one of the twins says, you know, uh, sends him a Bitcoin. It's like, I'm going to pay for the gas for yeah. this flight with a Bitcoin. Um, and if you kept the Bitcoin, it's probably worth way more than the gas. I don't know. Uh, but it was, uh, it was an interesting moment. Yeah. Well, well, and also I find a lot of billionaires 
so there's several types of groups that don't like it, right? There's right. there's um, uh, uh, you know older people who are used to gold or the dollar. Yeah. Uh, there's banks don't like it well, because they, it's a challenge to them, right? Right, because yeah. you don't have to store your Bitcoin in a bank. Right. Um, so it become, makes banks have have to figure out where is that, what's their role in a world of Bitcoin. And then billionaires, I can understand why they don't like it. What are, what do they have a billion of? Dollars. Right, right. right. <laughs> so oh, are they going to take this risk? Oh my God, if I'm going to still be a billionaire, do I have to transfer my dollars over to this new thing? Right. Like it's it becomes a, big, a hard it's a, problem. It's a battle. They're bat I mean, it does battle the establishment in some yeah. ways. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. But you're right. Those, there are people who have reasons to dislike Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, and you hear that, you know, when I'm on my book tour, you definitely get that side of it. And then there's people who just think it's a Ponzi scheme yeah. without really, you know, understanding what that actually means. It's obviously not a Ponzi scheme, but that comes up a lot or it's a bubble, you know, and the price certainly has aspects of it that can be bubble-like. Well, well, um, there's a couple of interesting points there. One is you look at, you look at any financial innovation in history. So in the late nineties, IPOs became a lot easier. So right. we weren't actually in an internet bubble. We were in an IPO bubble right. and internet companies, suddenly a lot of scams, like let's say 95% of internet companies that started then were basically scams or useless because they were all taking advantage of this IPO bubble. Then housing wasn't a bubble, obviously in the OOs, right. people still live in houses, but all these derivatives on derivatives on derivatives, like credit default swaps squared, like all those things became a bubble. Financial innovation became a bubble and that collapsed. Bitcoin, it's a financial innovation. So yeah. even if there's kind of underlying uses and value, at, at first we have to go through that bubble phase. Right, right, while exactly. People figure it out. That's and there's exactly corruption right. that enters in before everyone else and says, oh, this is great. And like, right. you know, there's, there is, there, there is bubble aspects, but the internet's bigger than it ever was. Right. And the idea of Bitcoin goes well beyond the price of Bitcoin at this moment. You know, we're in the very early stages. Uh, uh, it would be like looking at the internet in 90 and saying, oh, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, I mean, I had people up to 2001 telling me the internet was a scam. Right, right. The internet, not just like right. the web or whatever. Right, that's, I mean, it's crazy when you look at it now. But obviously, it, it, new technologies and new innovations are hard to grasp right away. And, uh, and, and you know, the Bitcoin ending is not written yet. We've got a long way to go to where this goes. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So, so then the, um, the, the Winklevoss, I feel like they, they were very pleased when they were invited to this kind of secretive Silicon yeah, it was Valley this meeting. underground called the Genesis block meeting. And in that room were pretty much everyone who was creating the Bitcoin environment. Um, the twins think that Satoshi, if he exists, was in that room somewhere, um, whether it's one of them or multiple of them. Um, and so it was everybody who's involved at that point in time, but it was kind of like the engineers of Silicon Valley, not necessarily the biggest names, um, but it, it was a cool scene to write. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, uh, so Naval's Ravikant's been on the podcast. Yeah. I, uh, Kamal Ravikant, his brother is one of my closest friends and, and we work together on crypto related, uh, investing and, and so on. But, uh, he, so, so like I said earlier, he's the one who, yeah, he brought them in. He knew the twins and he, brought them in um, and introduced them around to everybody. And uh, they were excited to be uh, part of something because with the social net, with Facebook, they were on the outside and they were kicked out of it. And then they weren't allowed to be a part of that. But now people recognize they were part of this movement. Um, and one of the people that, you know, one of the early innovators of it. So, and well, what's interesting about Naval is he was an outsider himself to an mm -hmm. extent in that he really hated the venture capitalist. He had a bad experience with venture capitalists early on. So he wanted to be, he didn't like the Silicon Valley 
VC industrial complex, basically. Yeah. So he created AngelList, which was a way for companies and private investors to bypass uh, the venture capitalist gatekeepers. Wow. So he himself was an outsider. So I think that helped him appreciate both Bitcoin and the Winklevoss. By the way, has he read the book yet? I do not know. I'll find out. Find out for him. Yeah, right? I will. Curious. So you know the people in the book better than I know the people in the book. So this is, it's interesting for me to talk to you, but do you think you have a guess about Satoshi? Yeah, absolutely. So you it, think you know. And and one of the people that you mentioned in the book told me who, and, and I have very, re, he, he, one of the people you mentioned in this book uh, basically mentioned to me, here's who Satoshi is and really? describe the reasons why. Uh. And it was very uh, kind of hard argument to argue against. Like it was pretty mm. clear after he made his argument that, oh, okay, this is, this probably is probably Satoshi. Wow. Like like 99% confidence. And he knew for sure. And so it was just a matter of me believing him, but it's somebody who I trusted and believe in. So, wow. And then, and then that on time, if he had just not even made the argument, I would have believed in him, but then he made the argument why, and then it was pretty clear. But uh, uh, did the Winklevoss twins ever? They have some guesses. Um, mm. They do. They have guesses. I'm, but, I'm sure they probably know more. Probably people just say. Well, they don't, they don't know for sure, but they think they know, but they, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know the answer. It's not like it's that Maybe important. Maybe that's my really. next book. <laughs> but, but it's not even like no, that. No, it's, it's not. Important. And that's what's cool about Bitcoin. The person who founded Bitcoin did, really doesn't matter to Bitcoin. Yeah. And that's the cool part about it. Um, but it's also a fascinating story that someone creates something that's now billions and billions and billions of dollars. And, and he's never spent a dime of it. And has. <laughs> he's one of the richest men in the world or close to it and doesn't spend it, keeps it. Yeah. yeah well, I think wild. I think in general he's probably a very strange guy anyway. Yeah. So he's not going to go party and pizza and, right, and, right. and so on. And and you know, I mean, now you'll know this better than me. Do the Winklevoss twins think Bitcoin's the eventual winner? I mean, well, Bitcoin they, itself they, they, they has they're some not problems. selling their Bitcoin. They they believe in Bitcoin and they they've said two hundred fifty thousand. I mean, they they're believers that it's gold. It's gold two point They believe it's more a store of value than a useful currency. That it's going to be. Uh, a speculative thing that people are going to buy it and hold wealth in it. Um, but they believe it's going much, much higher than here, that we're in the beginning stages. Um, but, you know, whether it's Bitcoin that we're all using to pay for things or not, I mean, they've got the idea of the stable coin, that, that stuff. Um, but they think that Bitcoin is the winner in gold. Yeah, and I, I actually think the stable coin idea, so, the stable, so just to explain, Bitcoin itself has minor problems here and there, so other coins... To, are developed to solve those problems. So right. Bitcoin, you don't, it's not, the transaction speed's not very fast. So that's why it's better as a store of, of value, meaning I can store wealth and savings within Bitcoin, but I'm not necessarily gonna always use it to buy a newspaper. Right. There might, there might be faster coins. There's also some privacy issues. It's not a hundred percent private. It's large, it's like 99% private. So there are cu currencies out there like Zcash that are hundred percent private. Um, and then uh, uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but uh, well, what a stable coin. I mean, oh, you know, sta stable coin. Yeah. So, so the idea is that Bitcoin is very volatile, and and a lot of people ask the question, well, what's backing it? When we just discussed, well, there's thousands of man hours, or maybe millions of man hours of of math and science and computing power backing it. But people want to know that oh, the U.S. dollar is behind this, or the right. U.S. dollar combined with gold combined with the euro is backing it. I think as Bitcoin gets less and less volatile, which will happen, uh, uh, just that's the nature of every currency, um, you won't need a stable coin anymore. So right. I, think, I think that's an antique idea. Yeah, you might, I mean, and absolutely, you might be right. And I think that the twins believe we're really in the infancy here and that there's so much more farther to go. 
Um, so yeah, I think that they would probably agree with you on that. But you know, they built Gemini so that they're not necessarily all in on Bitcoin. They have other options now too. You can buy right, and sell any right, coin. On. Right, they're owning they, the house. It's like rather than just bet on one. And, and building the infrastructure. So right. it's like when the gold when the gold rush happened in the 1840s, right. who made money? The Levi's jeans and the, right, and the exactly. people who sold shovels. So they're they're basically selling they're, they're basically creating the shovels now. Right. And that's that's when you really know that Bitcoin is more than just a price we watch is when you look at all these businesses that are being built around it and all of these people who recognize that we're in a gold rush and are now being the guys who make in the Levi jeans. There's a whole infrastructure being built right now for this brand new form of money. I mean, was there anybody you tried to talk to that wouldn't talk to you? Like, let's say well, Warren Buffett or Jamie Dimon, like some of these so people So I didn't been... try to talk to those guys because mm -hmm. they weren't really part of the story. Roger Burr was very open to talk to me. Eric Voorhees was great. Charlie, uh, I wonder if there's any anti-Bitcoin people who are open to talk um, to So, you know, I didn't get as far into that because I think um, that wasn't really the story that I was trying to tell. Um, I didn't try and talk to the sort of the mainstream, you know, economists who dislike Bitcoin because I know that they were going to, they're going to come after the book anyways, and that's fine. That's when I'll talk to them, <laughs> which is cool. Um, but I was really telling the story of these guys and the people around them. So they would run into things now and again, but it wasn't really the story. So I didn't actually talk to like Warren Buffett or something like that because I know what he would say. But, you know, but I think that's what makes you great as a writer is that you really stay almost religiously focused on oh, I'm very, the story. So I basically, see, that's, that's, that's what I, how I, I write my stories. I've got these two guys and this incredible journey of theirs. So I dive into their story and follow them. I know there's a million different strands you could go into and a million different ways you tell your story. But my reader wants a thriller. And the thriller follows the characters through this drama. And so in all of my books, rather than telling a large story, I want to tell a small story in a large setting. I want to tell a personal intense Shakespearean drama set in the origins of Bitcoin. It's just like the Facebook story. You could have told a million stories there, but what was the cool story? What was the story I want to read? It was the twins and Eduardo and Mark locked in this crazy battle over Facebook. And a little bit Sean Parker. Well, Sean, I love Sean, yeah, by yeah. the way. And I, I think Sean's fascinating. Um, and uh, I would write a Sean book, I think, if, if you wanted to. But um, yeah, it's a cool story. Well, message to Sean, if you're yeah. listening to this. But like, like, do you think in terms of, because again, I like, I like your discipline in that this is not a book about Bitcoin, even though, by the way, the way Bitcoin is described to the Winklevoss twins should be the way it's described to everybody because <laughs> right. it's described in a layman's terms and it's really easy to understand, oh, okay, here's something that could be solve all the problems of money in a, you know, so much more global and complex world economy now than existed 40 years ago when paper money became a thing. Right, you right. Know, fiat paper, paper money became a thing. Yeah, I mean, I write for a mainstream audience. I write for people who have never heard of Bitcoin or have just seen it and been like, oh, shoot, I wish I had bought that when it was a dollar. Or, or and, it's a scam. Right, or, or they think it's a Ponzi scheme and a scam. And I want them to pick up this book and go, okay, well, it's not what I thought it was. Uh, but they read it because it's the twins and it's this crazy story. Um, but they learn, you know, they, they, people will come out of this understanding Bitcoin, um, I think in a pretty good way. Right. Like you're not writing like a book of facts, like, oh, here's no, what happened next. I'm not, next a, I'm not a documentarian. I don't write for the New York times. I write narrative nonfiction. It's a thriller. Um, and you know, some people don't like the way I write and some people do. And I get that. Um, but I lay it out from the very beginning. This is, this is the story I'm telling. But, but, uh, but I love the fact that you take these, um, really high stakes, nonfiction stories that we have all seen uh, headlines about, like whether it's 
Facebook or Bitcoin or poker or beating blackjack. Right. And you're able to crap, cr you're able to find where in this high stakes theme word like like bitcoin right. where in this high stakes word is there the arc of the hero that i can i can demonstrate through a story like do what what would you say are the beats that you follow like do, do you pay attention to like is, is I, I use the phrase the arc of the hero but is that like something you think about oh like, i do i'm absolutely i map out the three act system just like in a movie i mean i look at a real story and try and see where the beats of a three act system are where the conflict leads to some sort of big explosion leads to the next explosion leads to the resolution I'm, i have this whole you know i think real life fits that structure you know we all have struggles we maybe fall in love we have more struggles we whatever happens happens and then we sort of slide off <laughs> you know and that's the arc of everybody um and so you know what you're saying is exactly right so i didn't want to write about bitcoin i wouldn't approach a story about bitcoin i would approach a story about the winklevi twins and then tell the story of Bitcoin. Right, because you and saw so, this article about them. You I saw knew them their in the story. news and I said, they're the billionaires. Now I have my in. Now I know how to write this story because I'm really telling a story of how did these guys do this? How did they go from being ridiculed after the social network to suddenly being riding back into town with billions of dollars? Right. And I framed the whole book like the Count of Monte Cristo. So I use Count of Monte Cristo quotes to break up the book in the three acts because I feel like that's their journey. They they were thrown asunder. They were They were cheated and you know, they disappear into a cave and suddenly they ride back into town with a whole new form of money. It's exactly like the Count of Monte Cristo. And they're still powered by their anger, their revenge. You know, they're so mad because Zuckerberg screwed them that they're not going to stop until they're bigger than Zuckerberg. So, so actually that explains a lot because I was wondering, like the, yeah. one of the final chapters is called uh, Dumas to yeah. Balzac. And because so like, it was, you know, the so idea of the, did, did one, you know, the Balzac quote of... Uh, Stealing, oh, 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 I can't remember the exact quote. I used it in the social net and the, the accidental billionaires, but it was a, um, oh, I gotta look it up. I can't remember. It was about theft and and uh, whatever. And then and and so it was, you know, whether Facebook was stolen from them and now they're out for their revenge. That's kind of the encapsulates the whole story. But let, let's let's talk about that arc for a second because uh, I mean, so many of your books are bestsellers, and this this book, so many of your books read like thrillers. Uh, and you and you do it in such a simple way. It's almost like, how did he do that? Uh, it's like, and then I, and then I sort of feel like, damn, why didn't I write that story? <laughs> right. Like, but but you, it's a, it's an expert skill. That well, you I have, think so. one of the things is is having a little knowledge. <laughs> See, I don't know enough about Bitcoin to write the difficult Bitcoin story. I only know just enough to write the simple Bitcoin story. And so for me, you know, it's a thrill ride. It's the excitement of it all that I that I want to tell it. And I I. I my process is really following these guys around, spending as much time with them as I can, inserting myself into the story. You know, I played blackjack with the MIT blackjack team. I, you know, I ran around with Russian, Russian oligarchs. I, I live the story and then I tell it like I was there. So, you know, I insert myself into it a lot. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking for the thriller in it, not not for the overall concept. So, so, so thinking about this book, and and not thinking about the three act structure, but like kind of the the arc of the hero which you also yeah. which is similar or is parallels it um what what would you say are the are the beats so let's say you know starting it off with they're they're in the ordinary world and they're going to the extraordinary and it's hard for the Winklevoss twins with 65 million right. they never really were that ordinary right yeah. but they discover bitcoin you know after their settlement and they dive and, and, and they were ordinary in, the, in that nobody liked them <laughs> right right but they dive headlong in they see themselves as underdogs you know and they're fighting their way through it 
Um, and then Cyprus happens. You know, when Cyprus was devalued, the country of Cyprus went bankrupt. And that day, uh, the government said, I'm just going to take everyone's bank accounts. And they took 50% of everyone's deposits, basically. So if you had money in a bank in Cyprus, they just took it. And that was the moment Bitcoin became important because people realized, well, I need a form of money that the government doesn't have control over, that the bank can't just take. Um, so all these oligarchs started getting into Bitcoin because they were the people who had money in Cyprus. So that's a big moment in the story. And I think that shifts us to the next act. Um, and then it's like telling the world about Bitcoin. How does Bitcoin become famous? And it kind of culminates in, you know, um, Silk Road going down, Charlie getting arrested, um, because that so, was another big moment in Bitcoin and for the twins, because it's shedding the dark side of Bitcoin. Right. Charlie going down, Silk Road going down, we're putting aside where Bitcoin came from, and now Bitcoin has a chance of being respectable. And, and, and again, leaving aside the story of Bitcoin, their story was how okay, their initial partner, Charlie, is- He goes to jail He goes years. to jail, right. but they have to, part of their story is how to uh, extricate themselves from Charlie's story right. so that their story could still, their second act story right. could still I mean, that could flourish. have ended them. You think about it, your, your partner goes to jail for money laundering or whatever it was. It wasn't money laundering, it was, you know, the reality is what Charlie did, he should not have gotten to jail for. He, somebody used his company to buy Bitcoin to then buy drugs. I mean, there should be a fine. <laughs> I don't think you should go to jail for that. Right, because it was unclear that banking laws. Right, it know, wasn't clear that what applies. the crime really was. It certainly wasn't money laundering. It, it wasn't. Why did he go to jail? You think? Well, they gave him a, a deal because what happened was they were charging him with these crazy money laundering that could have faced the rest of his life in jail. And you knew what happened to the Silk Road guy. I mean, the guy got multiple life sentences. You know, uh, so Charlie was looking at a scary moment in his life. They offered him a deal, and he took it. Um, if he had fought it, he might've lost and spent the rest of his life in jail. So, so, so again, going back to the, the arc, they, they, they were in the ordinary world, which is the world where, you know, people hated them. They needed a second act. They had kind of failed to build this $500 billion company called right. Facebook. And so roughly you, 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 you masterfully write this. So they seem ordinary. They kind of step through the looking glass into the extraordinary world when, Boom! They're to, introduced to Bitcoin. You you kind of end the chapter there, so it's like a cliffhanger chapter, and right. you go forward. And uh, and then so so again in this arc, and maybe I'm trying too hard to, to match it, but you know you're you're supposed to meet more and more friends who and and solve uh, who help you solve more and more difficult problems, which is what does what happened. It, it kind of happens, although some of the people are like Roger Ver, or Eric Voorhees, or people who are or instrumental in, in Bitcoin, but have a very opposing view to the twins. But then there's like, the, but then they're invited to the Silicon Valley they get secret this, meetup. You know, when they're invited to the Silicon Valley secret meetup, they're getting their validation. And then Bitcoin um, 2013, and then their Bitcoin keynote. 2013, the keynote is a big moment for them because they're on stage and finally they're the guys now. They're the guys representing Bitcoin to the dismay of some people and to the happiness of other people. And then Charlie goes down and they have to figure out how do we overcome that um, and then we go back to Zuckerberg. <laughs> so, you know, it's an incredible arc. And, and the, yeah, that, so, so kind of the, the, in, in the, in Star Wars terms, right. the killing of the Death Star was when they finally extricated themselves from, uh, Charlie and this dark side of Bitcoin. And now they're ready to, uh, you know, bring back all this knowledge that right. they have about Bitcoin, create Gemini and, and, and become an exchange for all people, become part of the infrastructure of, of what's happening in cryptocurrencies. Exactly. That's it. I mean, that's, there's our movie script. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you going to sell it as people? It's already sold as a movie. Uh -huh. Um, I can't really, uh, uh, unleash who has bought it, 
but it's going to be a big movie. Columbia will be distributing it. Um, the people who did the social network love to get Army to do it again. We're going to try and go back to Army Hammer. That's to amazing. Play them. To go back to him. Uh, he's amazing. He's become such a. I mean, he's always been a great actor, but he's done some incredible roles since the social network, and I think he'd be perfect again. Um, but well, we'll who's, who's going to write it? Is it? Can you get Aaron Sorkin to write I, it again? I love Aaron Sorkin. I love him. You know, I, I like a lot is a is a compliment. The guy who does Billions. You yeah, know yeah, him. Um, yeah. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. A wonderful. I think he's. A, I, I was a, I mean, an advisor love, on season three him. of Billions. I think he's he's. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. And you know, Rounders is one of my favorite movies of all time. So he's some. I, there's a lot of people who could do it. Um, but you know, Aaron was amazing. And then if you want to do it, you know, it would be great. We'll see. It's still early. Yeah. So so. Uh, now, when you talk to the Winklevoss twins now... You want to say Winklevi. I know you do. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, I actually don't want to say that because I think that's that's a mildly derogatory uh, way of saying their name. I mean... Might it, as well say their name. Right, okay, Winklevoss twins, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, did they get a lot of heat when, you know, obviously they're, they're, they were in it at $7. It went all the way up to 20000 So much, So much of the population hurried into it at 20000 yeah, People bought it at 20000 and now they're very upset. Right. And in fact, I get reviews where you can tell the guy bought at 20000 <laughs> I mean, it's just this anger about Bitcoin. And I get it. So the twins believe it's going way, way higher. You know, yeah. they think we're just in a moment. Um, but so, do they get heat? I'm like, sure. That's a good question. I haven't really asked them about it. They were telling people to buy it when it was dollars. So, you know, they told me. I met them in a bar years ago and they were like, you know, buy some Bitcoin, put it away, don't think about it. And I didn't. Um, and, uh, and had I, you know, it'd be worth a ton of money. So, you know, I think they were telling people all along. So they don't feel like this drop is a big deal. Right. Um, they really don't. There's no panic. There's no fear. They really and truly believe Bitcoin at 250000 makes sense. Um, and so they don't think there's any issue right now as long as you didn't sell. And are they going to help you promote the book? Like, are they? Yeah, they're, they love the book. Um, mm -hmm. I think that they, you know, they're going to do stuff, I hope. Uh, you know, I hope the crypto community embraces it. Um, as you know, nowadays, selling a book is not easy anymore. People don't read, um, which is tricky. And uh, it's, uh, it's a different world now than it was when I started writing. Well, but, well, uh, well that, that's interesting because I kind of agree. So, yeah. so I've written a bunch of books and I, I, I used to post a blog post every single day and put it on all sorts of platforms. Yeah. And sometimes blog posts, even like five, six, seven, eight years ago, we get over a million page views. Right. That world is like over right now. Right. And what's, I don't know if there's just more things out there uh, as opposed to before. And so there's just as many readers, just each item gets read by fewer people. Right. But, and there's also then Instagram and YouTube and all that. But what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, the book industry is, is in the throes of trying to figure out what the heck is going on and what's next. Um, you know, I, I, I love doing what I do and I love writing books, but I, I foresee a time when just writing books is not going to be a business. Um, and that's why I, I, I sell my books as movies and Hollywood television, because that's a big part of the industry now. Look, people want to consume content in a variety of ways, and we all have our phones, and we're all consuming on our phones now, or iPads. And I get that. And the book, it's a little archaic, um, but I still love it, and I hope that you know people gravitate towards it. Um, I don't care how you consume what I write or what I do. Um, but I do, you know, want people to read this or, or hear it or how see it, um, because I think it's an incredible story. So, and I, and I think, I think part of your, I'm just trying to piece together like the Ben Mesrick method. <laughs> yeah. So like you, you find this thing that is captivating the culture's imagination, right? you know, 
and, and it's usually a word, right? Like again, blackjack, poker, uh, right. oligarchs, Bitcoin, Facebook, right. Bitcoin. Easy concept, yeah. yeah. And then, but you're not gonna write, this is the definitive book about Facebook. Like no. you're never gonna write that. Then you're gonna find, look for where's the drama? Where's some Yeah, what's, thing. what's my way in? What is the story here? Who is the character who's gonna tell me what happened? I need a main character to open up to me. I'm not gonna be that journalist who chases people around with a notepad trying to get them to talk. I want a willing participant. Right, you're not a journalist. I don't think I am. I think I'm a different form of journalist. I've never thought of myself. I'm not a newspaper man. I'm not, I'm not a guy who, who does that. I tell stories that are true. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a very different art. But 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 you're also looking for this. You're looking for the story. I mean, in Bitcoin, there's lots of stories. Yeah. And but you're looking for the story which y you think will have the biggest arc yes, in that the arc biggest of the hero. footprint, the resonance that worldwide. You know that everyone in the world can read it and see it and and get it. And and I imagine particularly now you're looking at you're 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 probably at the very beginning picturing. Does this look well if it's a movie? Yeah. Oh, it, from the very beginning, it's it's a movie in my mind. I mean, I'm seeing the movie before I write the book. And and you know, one thing you don't do, it seems to me, is you don't play. Even though it's clear you're in the story, like it's almost like you're over the shoulder yeah. of every single scene. And and obviously, some of it's being retold to you. Some scenes you probably are there, but you never really say I. Right. You're not. You don't refer to yourself. Do you ever see yourself kind of? Um, putting yourself in the story. So for instance, we mentioned uh, Satoshi, the, this right. mysterious anonymous founder of, of Bitcoin. Um, do you ever see yourself writing something like uh, the search for Satoshi and then it's you, it's a story about Me you looking finding. For it? Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I've thought about doing something like that. I haven't, I haven't really done it since bringing down the house. I'm in the few chapters in that book because I was interviewing people as I go. Um, but I would like to do something like that. It would be interesting to do that. I've never, you know, the idea of a memoir or telling my story, it'll happen. I think one day I'll sit down and write. But it's it's not quite memoir. Like, like think about something like... Like active... Yeah, I, I know what you're talking like about. Word like Word Freak the, by Stephen Fassis, yeah. uh, which was about Scrabble. Initially, he's reporting about the Scrabble world, right, and then, then he, he decides... I like that idea. I could I could see trying that at one point, yeah. Maybe the Satoshi story would be the one where I did it. Or, but again, or, I'm not the journalist who goes searching. He's right. got to come to me. Right. Um, and That's then I'll the tell his story. I don't want to... I never wanted to be that guy. Um, what's yeah. what's so? What kind of high stakes words are on your mind right yeah, now? Because you know, a great you've written. You, you've written. I'll tell you the thing that books, I'm not so. probably writing about is politics. I think that it's just there's so much going on, and it's just impossible to get a handle on any of that. I don't know what's after Bitcoin. I feel like I write myself into a corner because every book is bigger and bigger and bigger. And how big can we get? I mean, how much bigger can we get than Bitcoin? And and usually you do write about not usually, but last bunch of books except for the UFO one, yeah. has been about some fi big financial I thing. like the finance world. I think there's a lot of stories in it. It's dramatic. I grew up, you know, in the 80s where Wall Street was king. And so I grew up on that kind of idea. So I love it. I like what Michael Lewis does, but I'm different than him. I, I'm sort of telling a thriller and he's doing a much broader thing, I think. But um, depending on the book, yeah, depending on the book. Exactly. Like in Liar's Poker, his first, right. he puts him, he, it's about him. But in Moneyball, it's, he's, he, he, his books, yours and his books are very much alike, I think. Right. I, I agree. I mean, I would like to be compared to Moneyball as much as possible. I think it's phenomenal. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think I could put myself in a book at some point. We'll see. I'm, I'm trying to think. I bet you, I bet you would be interested if there was a, a, a riveting story about big data, which I'll, expl I'll, I'll explain why. Right now, there's data about every single thing you do like computers right. know every single thing you do and there are people benefiting from that and I, I i imagine if there's the right 
person yeah, in the right arc. Then I'll, what, you have something for me? <laughs> Maybe. Well, we, yeah. we, we, we I can bet talk you could offline. send me some good story ideas. I'm <laughs> so, looking for my next book. I don't have it yet. So I am out there looking. And when, usually when I'm on book tour, that's when I get approached by somebody because I'm out there, you know, doing interviews. So I love the emails and the tweets, you know, people going whatever. Now you can reach someone so easily. Instagram, Twitter. I mean, people come to me with ideas. So I assume I'll get my next idea during this tour. Also, it might not. It might still be related to Bitcoin, like as you yeah, said. Yeah, this story is this story just starting, and so there's a lot of places we could go with it. And and um, and this is not necessarily a spoiler, but I do like the point. There's sort of this full circle moment that happens at the end between. Yeah. Well, and the now Winkable there's news all over the place that Facebook is looking to do their own coin, right? You know? And so that I mean, I we called that one in this book because that's really the next step for Facebook. And to me, I still believe it's personal. It, I think there's no way Zuckerberg is thinking about this without thinking about the Winklevoss twins. Well, and apparently the latest news I saw was that he is approaching he's, he's, them about there is trading the Facebook out. currency. Because they know so much about it and they've been doing it for a long time and Zuckerberg is new to it. But, you know, if Facebook does launch a coin, um, it'll be intriguing to see what that does, you know? And, uh, it'll be a stable type thing. It won't be like a Bitcoin. So in the end, it probably will prop everything up. But but who knows? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's... Uh, uh, a question because it'll certainly be instantly more popular than every single cryptocurrency except Bitcoin right. or alongside Bitcoin, and so but and it'll be trading probably on Gemini, the yeah. Winklevoss twins exchange. I think there's a, there's another outsider story here with the Winklevoss twins that's that's been happening in the past year or two, which is that you know obviously they were the first, or I, I believe they were the first to come up with the idea of what's called a, an ETF, an exchange traded fund, where you can trade Bitcoin as if it was a stock on the stock market, but the SEC has to approve that. Right. And the SEC has not been approving theirs because I think the SEC wants to approve an ETF constructed by a traditional Wall Street firm, and they're still outside that yes. that, that Wall Street club. So they're, they're always going to be an outsider to some extent, even yeah. with, with even right. though they're coming I mean, they're up with these ideas. They're trying to build the acceptance level, but yeah, they're not a Wall Street bank, and they're, and they're so they're struggling against that, but um, but yeah, the ETF will be a game changer, you know, when it happens. So so again, um, you know, Ben Mesrick, you've written so many books that have given me like I probably read Accidental Billionaires three times, and I probably watched the movie four or five times because <laughs> because I wanted to show like each daughter of mine, I had them watch it. Oh, that's awesome. Because it's because it's educational. It's like oh, this is what. It's like to build something great, and oh, that's great. Thank you, know, you so much. And I think a lot of people watch it for those reasons. And then you know, similarly, like Twenty One, and and you know the um, you know all, all your stuff, the oligarchs one. I like how with the oligarchs book, uh, you you kind of took the most pathetic of the oligarchs, <laughs> and that was his story, right. as opposed to just like, hey, we're gonna ride this billionaire all the way to the top. Right. He, like he saw this really crushing arc. Um, but I look forward to the the next book, and I I, I hope you come on the podcast many times more. And uh, this book was great, Bitcoin Billionaires. I'm sure everyone's going to read it. They don't need my recommendation to read it, but it's 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 an educational book about Bitcoin. But but it's it's an educational book about second chances. It's it's a sequel to Accidental Billionaires, but on its own, it's this great story of of the Winklevoss twins coming back with, through Bitcoin. And, and it's a great book. So thanks once again for coming on oh, the podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. I love the show. So thank you very much. Thanks. Hey, James, I was going to ask you, could you ask a few questions about billionaires in general based on your book, like Think Like a Billionaire? Uh, do you mind like one more question? Sure. Um, all right, Jay, is that okay? Well, so so actually one more, one more question, Ben. When the Winklevoss twins went from the ordinary to suddenly Bitcoin billionaires, was there any 
change in their behavior? Like what, what does it mean to be a billionaire? Cause I sort of feel right. like, let's say someone has, I'm just going to make up a number like 1 million, 5 million, 10 million. Okay. They're going to buy the great house. They're going to, you know, maybe quit some of the things they've been doing that they don't like doing. They're going to maybe fly in a different way or buy things that they wouldn't normally bought. But a billionaire, you can't possibly, unless you're buying a sports team, you can't possibly spend that money. It's such an right. unfat, like now there's so many billionaires, but people don't, and they, so people take it for granted that, oh, a billionaire, but you can't possibly count that money, spend that money. Right. It's Do, ridiculous. Yeah. It is. And you see, did was did their behavior well, change? Well, you know, these guys grew up in a billionaire family, so it's their dad's not a billionaire. New, well, he yeah, he basically is a billionaire. He created a company that all Wall Street firms use, and he he came up from nowhere. You know, went to college selling pots and pans, but became a billionaire. So they've been around money their whole lives. Um, I think they're more careful now. I think it changes your perspective of how people see you. So now that they're known as being these billionaires, I think they're more conscious about that and how people react to them. I don't think they've changed though. I feel like their personalities are very similar to when I first met them. Um, Did you I mean, ever they're, get they're confident sense? guys. There, there's two of them. <laughs> so they're they're very confident. They're very sort of uh, you know intense and and detail oriented and do, very smart. Do they keep each other in check? If one, well, they, yeah, they're like one person. So mm -hmm. you know they work together on everything. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see their personalities having changed that much. Do you ever see like now that they're in this? lofty state of billionaire status and presumably it's going to go out much greater do all the billionaires sort of call each other on the phone and say <laughs> do hey billionaires all know let, each other that's a great question this. i they probably do they have secret you know, meetings I don't know if they, well they do have secret meetings but i think they do know each other i, I feel like there is you know um a billionaire network uh, of people who, who can get each other on the phone in one instant and it's not like a dark conspiracy thing i'm not saying that they're you know trying to control the world but i do think there is a network of people at that level. Like if Jeff Bezos were to call them, what would they talk about? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I don't know. Because Whole Foods accepts Bitcoin Yeah, now. <laughs> I mean, I think they'd be talking about cryptocurrency and whether Amazon's going to do a big crypto or something like that. But I do think that they all kind of travel in similar circles. And even like when you see these circles like in Ibiza or whatever, it's, it's like a different world, like this world yeah. where nobody cares about anything. I mean, it's different. Their the perspective is very different once you don't care about money anymore. And yet, and yet it could be sad too. Like you mentioned the case of Matthew Mellon, who yeah. comes from this billionaire banking dynasty, the Me Mellon family dating back to Andrew Mellon or, or right. beyond. And he dies sadly at 54 of an opioid yeah. overdose. So clearly- You know, if, listen, I, I don't think billionaires have an easier life in every way. I think they still run into the same problems that everybody does. Um, you know, they have family members that they either <laughs> get along with or don't get along with. They have thing health issues just like everybody else. Um, you know, so it's hard to put yourself in their head. We're in a world right now where we immediately identify people either as privileged or not privileged. But the reality that I've seen hanging out with people is that everyone's got problems, you know, everyone's got issues and everyone's struggling about something. Um, and so the one thing they're not struggling with is money, <laughs> but it doesn't change the other things. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, insecurities and, and fears and uh, those things are, are relevant to everybody. Um, yeah. And, and probably if you don't have them, if you don't have something to latch onto that drives you forward, maybe you get lost a little. Well, the kids of billionaires, I think, have a real struggle because you grow up in an environment where everything is, you've got everything. What is your motivation? You know, all of us are motivated by overcoming something like what would you do if you were a billionaire and, and you want to raise your kids right yeah it's very hard um because they live a lifestyle where you know it's you could see them failing 
Um, the twins, however, they they were driven with this. They, they have an incredible drive to build something, to prove something, maybe uh, to build, um, which they didn't need to have. You know, they're not going to row off into the sunset. So they were raised right. Um, but I think it's a hard question. You know, how do you raise someone when you've got a billion dollars and not have them turn into you know <laughs> a mess? Um, it's tricky. I think, we've, I think we hit on a couple of possible yeah. ideas for your next book. <laughs> I, I love it. Thank so, you very much. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. Yep. Yeah.